0: Where are you? Come on. You may have noticed, if you're onto it and not staring out the window, that in the newsletter it says, Today's Sermon, Romans 14, playing nice together in the sandpit. Well, I came across something that I think, had the Bible been written today, probably would have made it, because it's very similar to the message of Romans 14, but We're just going to listen to that now. It's called All I Ever Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. I'm not sure what my first words were, but my daughter's first words were nonalds, as in McDonald's. (laughs) She's looking out the windows, all the arches. I love that. There's something very simple about the most profound truths. Today's module in applied Christianity is the whole of Romans 14. And I've thought a lot about how to present it to you, as it doesn't break down into easily little digestible bits. And preachers like me like easily digestible bits, but this isn't like that. It's more like Auckland's spaghetti junction, ducking and diving as it loops around a couple of key ideas. It's a bit harder to unpack. So I thought I'd try and paint a picture of what the early church in Rome was like first to set the scene. Then hopefully what Paul is saying that I'll read out to you a bit later will make a bit more sense as we tutu through it. And then I've got a few um, thoughts about what we might do with all of this. Well, Romans, we know, was written probably in the late 50s. So maybe a generation and a bit after Jesus' death and resurrection. We can infer from chapter 16, which has a number of personal greetings in it, and some of those greetings refer to, um, I can't remember the name of it, um, Jan and the group that meets in her household. And there's three of those. So we know that there are a number of little house churches, we don't know exactly how many, but Rome was a city of one, maybe two million in those days, so there might have been quite a few. And one of the big issues for the early church, possibly the biggest issue, was unity. Particularly how could Jewish believers and formerly pagan Gentile believers came to come together. You see, Jewish folk thought that Gentiles like you and you and me were absolutely disgusting. Terrible people. Because we eat non-kosher food like pork and bacon and ham and stuff like that. And we were well known for our promiscuous lifestyles and our idolatry. Whereas pagan believers thought that Jews were the pedants of the ancient world, legalists hung up on odd food rules and forever going to different festivals. Now the Jewish community in Rome was quite small and quite beleaguered, a little group of people huddling together because they had this exemption from paying taxes. They didn't have to pay taxes to the Roman um, God's churches. Now, then as now, no one likes paying taxes and everyone gets annoyed when someone doesn't have to. And it was like that then. So they were resented to the point that about 10 years before the letter was written, they had been all booted out of Rome and then later let back in. So they're pretty small and I suspect pretty insecure with how they were feeling about being there. And in these circumstances, I imagine that the Jewish people stuck together and that gathering uh, of the community each Sabbath day, sharing in the ancient feasts like Yom Kippur and Purim and all eating kosher food sort of reinforced their identity as Jews it was a comforting thing now ethnic jews who followed jesus were probably still part of that community they may have at least even so just at least socially had a foot in both camps we know from paul's other letters that christian jews often went to the synagogue to sneakily evangelize their more faithful jewish mates now the Christian house churches, well they met in the evening of the first day of the week, working week. The day that Jesus rose and our equivalent would be Monday night. Now the fledgling community, church, Christian community at that stage had no mandatory feasts. Easter, Christmas and all that was still to come. No saints days, no food laws. In fact Jews and Gentiles shared communion together and no one was expected to observe the Old Testament, Saturday, Sabbath. Now the passage I'm going to read to you shortly refers to two groups in the church. Paul calls them the weak and the strong. Now most likely the strong were Gentile believers who'd shed their pagan customs and Jews like Paul who no longer observed the Jewish food laws or the ceremonial feasts or all of that sort of stuff. They ate what they pleased and with whom they pleased without any feeling that they were doing anything wrong without any qualm of conscience now most likely the weak by contrast with jewish believers had grown up with the food laws and the holy days and all this and it was part of the rhythm of their lives they may well have avoided meat and alcohol as well because of the custom in those days when um, meat and alcohol was sold that it was dedicated to a roman god Now in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul addressed Jewish Christians who were teaching a gospel in which you followed Jesus and you had to keep the full requirements of the Old Testament law. Council of Jerusalem, which we have recorded in Acts 15, had put pay to that idea. So new believers coming into this Christian church did not have to become Jews. Now these weak Jewish believers were not saying you had to follow their rules in order to be saved, else Paul will have gotten really stuck into them, as he did in the letter to Galatians. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith. You're not supposed to load other stuff up onto that. Okay. So let's make a start of this. Romans 14. Welcome those who are weak in faith or conviction but not for the purpose of quarrelling over opinions or disputable matters. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Sad for the weak. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. It interests me that they're not told, welcome the weak so that he can bring them, bring them in and sort them out and change their ideas. We are not to judge each other. What other um, over opinions or disputable matters, we're not supposed to set out to try to sort each other out to change each other. There are room for differing practices and differing understandings within the faith on these issues. Paul does not give the weak a hard time for disagreeing with them. Some judge one day to be better than another, say like the Sabbath, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day observe it in the honour of the Lord, and those who eat eat in the honour of the Lord since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain abstain in honour of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves. And we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. So he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul says, let's all be fully convinced in our own minds. In other words, we act, we're to act out of the convictions of our own consciences, whatever they might be. He continues, why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. We are free before God to figure out what we think about these disputable matters and we're responsible to him. An important old school Baptist value that doesn't get talked about much anymore is the freedom of individual conscience. Back in the wars of the 20th century, you had Baptist conscientious objectors, particularly at Linwood Baptist and at Oxford Terrace and you had Baptists who were chaplains in the army and you had Baptists who fought and they managed to stay together under the same roof. We don't need to sort each other out. Now there's an important question about what is a disputable matter and I'll come back to that in a minute. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, so food's all okay, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is. Think about this example. Young woman leaves Gloria Vale um, from the West Coast. Very strict dress code there. And one of the big no-nos is you don't wear makeup. She tries out a bit of lippy one day. But probably because of that upbringing, she feels really guilty about it. What should she do? Well, I think what Paul is saying here is it's wrong for you to violate your own conscience until she's got herself to a place where it's okay to, for her to put on the war paint like the rest of us do, until she's got to that place of freedom, it would be unhelpful to encourage her to do that, to tell her not to worry about it, because it's within her. And we don't, we respect other people's consciences. Sometimes conscience and faith take a while to catch up to each other. Paul continues, Paul continues, if your brother or sister has been injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ has died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and is human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification, mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not eat, act from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We need to be careful of each other, not judging each other for differences of practice or belief. It's an aspect of playing nicely in the sandpit with each other. Now, if my freedom causes someone else to stumble, then I should zip it their sake. That's the caring thing to do. Now I'm quite fond of red wine but I'm very careful with that freedom when I'm around younger company. I've seen young men get absolutely hammered on a very few drinks, which is not something I want to encourage or make seem cool. Another issue sometimes arises is gambling. We were going to have a raffle here at our, at our no-show show day a few years ago and it became apparent that some people found that really difficult. And I didn't have an issue with it, but I thought, nah, skip it, it's not worth worrying about. Let's just not do it. Because love is more important than liberty. No matter how right we might think we are. And most of us tend to think that what we think is right, otherwise we wouldn't think it. Paul seems here to be concerned of two things. First of all, that the weak might follow the strong and thereby violate their conscience. Or the strong, flaunting their freedom, might drive the weak from the faith. Paul's actual major focus in this passage is people's attitudes. Not what they think or what they, what they do. Like in Kindy, we are meant to be kind to each other and look out for each other. To look out for each other's best. Well, how does that question. Now, the question arises okay, what's a disputable matter that's okay to tolerate? How does this all work? Okay, gonna plough into that. The first thing is, what is the gospel? I think we need to be very clear about that. The gospel is not Jesus plus keeping the Old Testament food laws and Old Testament festivals. We know that. Okay. Now Baptists used to be known, and I'm not my friends, I'm sure, but Baptists used to be known as Jesus plus don't dance and don't drink. Reputably that's why we have these sloping floors because it's quite hard to dance on them. You notice that. So Baptists didn't get to go to all the best parties. But Jesus plus don't drink is not the gospel wasn't the gospel then and it's not the gospel now. Other Christians think it's, well, the gospel is Jesus plus doing the right thing. Whatever that might be. That's the gospel of works righteousness that Paul wrote Romans against. That we somehow earn our way into God's good graces. Other Christians think that the gospel is Jesus plus believing a whole lot of true doctrine. And I'm sorry, but that is not the gospel either. Now, please hear me on this. Having sober habits, doing good for yourself and others, and valuing the truth will serve your Christian life and discipleship very, very well. But if you think for a moment that you saved yourself, even a weather thin little bit, then you are skating on the thin ice of self righteousness and denying the sufficiency of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to save us. Sober habits, doing good, learning the truth, are the fruit of salvation. They are not its cause. Um, classical, old bitter scripture here, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10, for by grace, in other words, free gift, you have been saved through faith, your trust. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not the wages of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. Look at me, I'm a Christian, makes no sense whatsoever. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works as our consequence, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Now if you hear a gospel presentation of Jesus plus something else, then that is not the historic Christian gospel. I've heard it suggested over the years to be a Christian, you must be water baptized. And others have said that you must speak in tongues. Nonsense. It's not true. The gospel is that we are saved by Jesus' life, death on the cross, and resurrection, our response to which is simple faith. That, for me, is not disputable. Well, what else is beyond argument? Well, in the latter part of the 1800s, so 1850 to 1900, science was rising, along with an emerging school of Christianity which said that the Bible was written much later than traditionally thought and that much of our faith was well-meaning mythology. Feeling under the sustained attack the Christian churches promptly circled the wagons and dug in. In 1870, the Catholics responded by saying, well, whatever else happens, the Pope, when he issues um, decrees from his throne, is infallible. So they enthroned the Pope. Conservative Protestants enthroned the Bible. And we said it was inerrant and infallible in its entirety. Now, the faith does not rise or fall on how many people fell in some obscure Old Testament battle that might be recorded twice in the Scriptures. It does not rise or fall on how exactly Judas died or on how dinosaurs fit into the Genesis creative narrative. But that's where we drew the line. More for us. The faith does fall, rise or fall on whether Jesus is both human and divine, the Son of God, who died and was resurrected for the salvation of the world, that God, who is a trinity, created. That's the big stuff. And many who say they are Christian, in fact, don't believe those things. I was once asked um, by this chap if I would let a Bible class happen here that he wanted to take. And I said, can I have a look at your materials? He said, sure. And as I read them, it became clear that Bob, we'll call him Bob, Bob, the Bible teacher, did not believe that Jesus was God. He did not believe in the divinity of Jesus. And he was not well pleased when I said he could not teach here. He wrote me a 3,000 word email spelling out his displeasure at my decision and I know it was 3,000 words because I did the word count on it (laughs) because I wasn't keen to read the whole thing. But those people are around. Disputable does not mean... I'm unsure of what I think, it means I recognise the sincerity of your view and it is not a top-shelf idea like the divinity of Jesus. So, I have Christian friends who are gay Christian ministers. You may find that challenging. I have another pastor mate who does not think that women should ever preach and he won't let them preach in his church. I find that challenging. I have other friends who believe in absolute predestination with no human free will at all. Can't get my head around that. Many others baptise infants, which I think is a great way to inoculate people against the faith rather than build it. And some people believe that if you give generously to God's church, he will financially bless you in return. So we're not actually giving stuff, we're investing. It's sort of a divine Ponzi scheme. I can be rude about this here, but there's lots of other churches in town who if I said that I'd be in trouble. At Kerry we were once talking in class about the nature of this church and there was a student there who said that I think that God sees us as this rich and vibrant and diverse bunch of flowers. She was a little bit Jesus freak. Our more cynical lecturer replied, oh, it's probably more like a basket of fruit and nuts. (laughs) I'm with him. Sincere Christians can differ on what the Bible teaches or means. For example, many of you expect that Jesus will whisk believers off to heaven prior to the end in an event known as the rapture. I don't. But the Christian tent is big enough to accommodate both of us. We have different views on what scripture teaches. But for each of us, the Bible is key to our shared faith as it reveals Jesus and his truth to us. And for me, that is not disputable. But we are welcome to respectfully disagree on what that might mean and what that might look like. So for me, the scope of Christian fellowship is large and wide. And I resist people who tell me that I should only hang out with these people or those people because I don't think that's how God sees us. Okay. But what about how we relate to the rest of humanity? This passage is about church, Romans 14, and church relationships. But what about the rest of us? Well, like the sandpit, can't we just be kind? Bob the Bible teacher that I would not let teach here cut me off but I didn't cut him off. I really enjoyed hanging out with my old car mechanic in Auckland, Muhammad and my Hindu neighbours in Auckland as well. They were great people. I didn't have them together because I discovered that Muslims and Hindus are not, not keen on each other. I had a ministry supervisor whose Christianity had long since atrophied. Almost probably dead, but we got him really well, and then I learned a lot of pastoral skills from that man. God bless me through this guy. I don't know about you, but I don't remember the clever things I've heard that much. As much as a little acts of kindness that have come my way, much of it, much as it was at Kindy, be nice to me and I will be your friend for life. In that regard, since my um, news of my new personal situation was shared last week, I have received an avalanche of loving and concerned messages. They are most welcome, and I'm very grateful. Thank you. And remember, try to play nicely with the other kids in the sandpit. I think we might ditch the last song because the witching hour is upon us. So if I could invite everyone to stand, I'm just going to read out a benediction and that'll be the end of our service. You've done very well. Let us go forth into the world in peace and dedicated to your service, O Lord. Let us hold fast to that which is good. Render to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the needy and the afflicted, and honour all people. Let us love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of his Spirit. And may God's blessing be upon us and remain with us always. Amen. Thank you.